This is the Gender Card Podcast from Griffith University's Gender Equality Research Network. I'm Nance Haxton, and together we will speak to the vanguard of remarkable researchers breaking down the issues of gender equality, women's leadership and gender inclusivity in all realms of life. This episode of The Gender Card comes at a crucial time, at the start of the global campaign of 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. The International Women's Development Agency is calling on us all to add our voices to this global movement by challenging attitudes that perpetuate, rationalise and normalise violence against women and deny women's right to safety. Two researchers at Griffith University, Piu Piu U and Tristan Russell, are doing groundbreaking work highlighting the dangers and discrimination that women face in two of our closest Asian neighbours, in Myanmar and Thailand. Piu Piu U is investigating how structural violence and gender inequality is embedded in conflict-related sexual violence and how this prevents effective prosecution and prevention of these crimes. Her experiences working on the ground with the UN and non-profit agencies in this area informs her work. While Tristan Russell's research explores gendered pathways to prison in Thailand, with violence against women being a prominent theme, many of these women experience myriad abuses throughout their lifetimes, ultimately leading to their incarceration. This podcast sometimes discusses disturbing content about violence against women. If this is triggering for you, please call the 24-hour National Sexual Assault Family and Domestic Violence Line, 1-800-RESPECT, on 1-800-737-732. And now to Tristan and Pew Pew. Thank you, Tristan and Pew Pew, for joining us today on The Gender Card. Wonderful to have you both. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. (laughs) We are here today really to look at the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women on November 25. So this campaign coming up, the 16 days of bringing attention to violence against women, which really relates to both of your research, I think. Pew Pew, can I get you firstly perhaps to tell us a bit about your research. First, I like to agree with you, like the 16 years of activism campaigns are wonderful and really quite important events and campaign for the issue of violence against women. My research is basically looking at the conflict-related sexual violence. A lot of our international actions has been taken place with adoption of UN Security Council resolution, considering it as a threat to security, and Rome statute has recognized this as a war crime since 1998. So since then, this sexual violence happening in conflict setting has been started receiving international attention. But this has not been really looking at what happens at the state level. So my research is basically looking at the role of state in preventing and responding conflict-related sexual violence. So I'm using Myanmar as a case study. So my research is trying to see how the state that we have often been found as a perpetrator of these violence and will be implementing these agreements, making sure the gender-inclusive approach 
Because there's still quite a lot of gender-related violence, isn't there? We don't hear a lot about Myanmar, even now as we've seen that political situation deteriorate, but it's still a big issue for that country to grapple with, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. The reason is, you know, a lot of uh, study and a lot of literature has found that this the root causes of conflict-related sexual violence is because of the gender inequality entrenched in the context. So what I'm trying to see is if we wanted the state to lead these responses, will the state ensure involvement of women in the process of reform? Because it's not just about coming up with a different framework for better legislation, but how do we Bring women along on that exactly. journey. Yeah, yeah. That's, mm. that's so true. In order to make sure like this conflict-related sexual violence is eliminated, then we have to address the root causes. But this mechanism is mess- missing in the whole process. So that's where I am interested in and in seeing how this issue will be addressed. And you're really looking specifically at conflict-related sexual violence, aren't you? Can you explain that for us? Yeah, so there is a, a definition specifically for the conflict-related sexual violence. So it covers different types of sexual forms of violence, including rape, forced marriage, forced sterilization. But it has to be one way or another related to the conflict. It means that a lot of the conflict-related sexual violence incidents are committed by the armed actors. It's most of the time we found that it's committed by the state armed groups. So that's where it received a lot of international attention around protection of civilians and protections of women in the conflicts. This will still be continuing in post-conflict war if we don't address the root causes of the gender inequality or discrimination or gender relations in the context. Is it very related also to the ethnic issues and violence within Myanmar? Definitely, yeah. Myanmar is a, a very multi-ethnic country, so very diverse ethnic communities living around the country. So currently conflicts are ongoing in the ethnic minority states. This conflict-related sexual violence is happening, for example, in Rakhine state, are basically targeting the Rohingya minority groups by the armed actors. And is there a recognition within the country that this violence is occurring, or is that part of the problem. There has been a lot of international pressures to the state government even before that time, you know. So lately in last year, the government has been to the International Criminal Justice Court against Myanmar on genocide against the Rohingya community in Rakhine State. So in mid-2018, International Fact-Finding Mission has conducted independent investigation and found there are a lot of human rights violations happening in the country across the conflict settings and including sexual violence, conflict-related sexual violence. And that's where government has been receiving a lot of international pressures, but still the government do not agree on the international findings entirely. So there are some, there is a recognition like this issue has to be addressed. But uh, still, we don't see a lot of progress around that. Quite complex to to look at from a researcher's point of view as well, I imagine. It does, actually, Mm. yes. And how to how to actually bring justice to people for, for what they are experiencing, essentially. Right. So one of the requirements in joint agreements specifically mentions the government to address the accountability and also prosecute the perpetrators who have committed. So the country is ongoing the 
nationwide ceasefire agreement, so which is in process. So this agreement has to include specific requirements for addressing the issue of sexual conflict related to sexual violence, like excluding the perpetrators from the amnesty. So these kind of things are going on. It's been progressive, I have to say, in that sense. But still, in my research, what I'm looking at is, you know, like the changes only on the formal level, like legal institutions. You have the law for violence against women. By the way, we still don't have violence against women law in country as a whole nation. So it will not address the whole issues. We have a lot of informal practices going on within the institutions at the community level, cultural, traditional norms, and which are quite patriarch and also still accepted by law. Like, for example, customary law at the grassroots level are still allowed by our constitution. So that's where, like, women and girls are, even they experience violence at the grassroots levels, they have very limited options to seek justice from that stance. It sounds like it takes a long time for those changes in law to come down, to, to filter down, to affect the people that's on right. the ground. So um, that's where um, my research is looking at from that perspective, finding the opportunities for the local women activists to engage in the state institutional level reform process. So. In my research, I'm trying to find opportunity for them. How could they get involved in the process of this reform? And uh, Tristan, your, your, your studies or your research is a country that's close by in some ways, more looking into the prison system in Thailand and some of the gendered issues there. My research basically has been looking at how women and also men end up in prison in Thailand. So looking at their life histories, looking, we, we start from childhood all the way up to now when they're in prison. So I guess really more of the focus on the research I've done so far has been their pathways into prison and future research that we're doing will also be looking at more of their experiences in prison and their needs at reintegration. But at this stage, the published research that I've done has been focused more so on how they actually ended up in prison. Violence against women is actually a key theme in a few of these pathways for the women. Is that pathway quite different from, for men and for women because of that violence that you've mentioned? Yeah, so we've found that women and men have some overlapping themes. For example, both women and men might share an economic pathway, so committing crimes out of economic necessity. However, what differs for the women is that they have this domestic violence pathway or adulthood victimisation and dysfunctional relationship pathway. There's also another pathway, harmed and harming, which women and men share, where they were abused or neglected as children However, for the women, again, their victimisation has occurred multiple times throughout their lives. So both women and men might be abused as children, but the women will also go on to be further abused as teenagers, as adults, by primarily by men and by several men. And an aspect I found really interesting was, it seemed to be particularly for women, was that aspect of deception it became something quite unique for them, that, that that was also part of their pathway into crime and onto prison. Yeah, yeah, so there was also a unique pathway for women where they were deceived, again, generally by men, 
generally it's a man they've met or they've met online or a romantic interest, a man that they're romantically interested in who has deceived them into committing a crime. So they they do this thing for this man that they love and he's basically just used them to smuggle drugs. And so that <laughs> domestic violence theme, that is obviously quite strong in what you've found. Yeah, that's correct. We had a unique pathway for women that was based around domestic violence and dysfunctional relationships. So these women, they most of them had committed offences against the person we had women who had killed their intimate partners after years of abuse or in an act of self-defence. Domestic violence, I think, occurred in 81% of these cases. So It's, it's incredible. That's such a lot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's quite sad. And it's also important to note that 32% of women in the overall sample, so for all pathways had actually experienced domestic violence as well. But women in the domestic violence pathway had experienced domestic violence in adulthood, but they'd also experienced victimisation from a non-family member, someone, a friend, an acquaintance, a stranger. Some of them had been abused as children as well. So we were finding that there were women who had been abused not just once throughout their life and not by just one man. It's a theme throughout their life. Yes. And does Thailand really recognise that domestic violence aspect? There's a lot more emphasis placed on social bonding and a lot more a lot more emphasis on bonding with your family, on bonding with your intimate partners. So I think the dynamics are a bit different there and I think I haven't I haven't done a whole lot of research into the broader theme of domestic violence in Thai society, but I can picture from the emphasis on social bonding that it might be complex in different ways over there to respond to. And and you're looking now at post-separation violence as well as part of this picture? So my research on post-separation violence is actually in an Australian context. Oh, okay. It's, I guess, a little bit different to my Thai research, but still similar in the way that it is about violence against women, also violence against children. So I've been looking at that this year as well, more in custody cases, so um, court-ordered custody, so the violence that occurs against women and their children in those cases, and how the family law system might contribute to their ongoing trauma. And I imagine also interplays again with that pathway into, into prison or the judicial system. Yeah, whilst my research, on my pathways research is Thai-based, we have found a lot of the Western research on pathways into prison have found a domestic violence pathway for women. So it would be reasonable to assume that this pathway would also emerge for women in Australia and potentially women who are going through court-ordered custody. It really does show, doesn't it, that violence against women is a, a theme across countries, across the world, and this is this is why we have this this campaign, the 16 Days of Activism, to raise awareness about the impact of this. Of and for you too, Pew Pew, I'm very, I'm interested in that you really came from a very practical basis before this research. You we were working on the ground in this, and how does that inform? your work because I imagine you saw this in your everyday life as well. Yeah, it would be right to say like my field experiences inspires me to come here and to do the research that I'm doing. 
I actually have been working as a gender-based violence coordinator in the conflict-affected states in Myanmar, so one of the conflict-affected states. Basically, my role is to bring all together all the program implementers who are working against violence against women in the field level and to make sure like implementations are not overlap, effective, efficient, and we are addressing the right issues at the ground level. So that inspires me to understand what state is actually doing in this area for addressing this issue. You've got some field work to go now, but of course with COVID, that complicates things, I imagine. What what are your plans at the moment for taking that forward? I'll be started collecting data next review. Um, there are a lot of reports by women CSOs who has been published, but I'll be also studying virtual interview, contacting and reaching some of the women activists on the ground. I really doubt that I could actually reach to state institution at this stage, and maybe they're not willing to. Uh, but I, I'm going to try that. Uh, but hopefully, if it is not the case, then I could contact to other international agency like United Nations, who are the main coordinator in this aspects of implementing joint communics and who are operating at the country level. It's a challenging time for researchers, that's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> and Tristan, have you been interested to see the differences and perhaps some of the similarities between that Thailand and the Australian context? You'd think perhaps that they'd be different, but it sounds like there, there are some similarities there. The domestic violence theme is a very, very common theme in both Western and non-Western feminist pathways research. It is a very common theme for women, and even in our harmed and harming pathways, where the women in our harmed and harming pathways have been abused from childhood. But not only have they been abused as children, they've also been abused as teenagers a lot of the time, and then as adults as well sometimes. So in our Thai sample, we found that a lot of these women were imprisoned for drug crimes. They had started harming themselves by some substance abuse just to deal with their trauma. So it's, yeah, these two two pathways are quite common throughout non-Western and Western feminist pathways, which is obviously very sad. It goes to show, I guess, when we think about violence against women, we don't really think about the fact that there are women in prison due to the violence they've faced. It's not an automatic thought that comes to mind, I suppose. It's still not really recognised, is it, that that is not just violence against that woman, it's it's becomes a societal problem, essentially. Yeah, definitely. I mean, an example of one woman in my research who was in the domestic violence pathway she had a long history of victimisation at the hands of men and it just goes to show a lot of these women have been abused since childhood or since they were teenagers or abused by several men in adulthood. They've been raped, they've been drugged, they've, you know, they've been beaten every day, some of them. Killing these men is really their only way out or this man is about to kill them so they kill him and they end up in prison. This obviously also has effects on their children and their other family members, um, especially given that it's the daughters in Thailand, the dutiful daughters, who financially provide. So it has flow-on effects as well. And I think that, yeah, when we think about violence against women, it's it, we don't really go automatically to, okay, this can flow onto the prison system, but not for the offender who is perpetrating violence against these women, but for these actual women who have been violated and traumatised. 
from a criminological perspective, is your research finding a way to short circuit that 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 loop? Essentially, is there are there ways to intervene to stop this happening? From my research, I guess we're looking more at what can we actually do for these women in prison. And obviously we've we've got the United Nations rules, so the Bangkok rules for the treatment of women in prison and non-custodial measures, which emphasise alternatives for women who offend, but we've still got very high rates of women in prison in Thailand. So I guess we're looking at really, okay, we've got these women in prison. What can we actually do to help them? And to reduce recidivism? And- yeah, yeah, um, of course. And... I think Thailand, you know, they. the good thing is that they do place this emphasis on the treatment of women prisoners and they do actually take on board a lot of research. We've got the Thai Institute of Justice who I'll be working with throughout my PhD and they do amazing research on how to better care for women in prison. We've got prison policies and programs. You know, nothing's perfect. We still have a long way to go and it would, like, ideally these women wouldn't be in prison in the first place. And then I guess it's just when we're responding to them, we've got to be aware that these women are traumatised. They've just their lives have been characterised by violence and trauma. So the ramifications of violence against women in both these countries and around the world, we can just see it through your research, can't we, Pew Pew? What hope do you have that that things can change essentially? Just reflecting what Tristan has been talking about, Mm. the social bonding and stuff. And it's quite similar in my country as well. So basically societal patriarch norms and cultures, and which is most of the time under the name of traditional. And it's just uh, quite shocking sometimes what I have actually experienced in the field also. You know, it's like one time, like I have been told one of the women who became pregnant outside the village and she was not allowed to get into the village because it's not traditionally accepted. So it's like she has been staying outside the village with a, on her own in a, some shelter that they have created for him and finally she died in her labor with no assistance and it really was quite shocking. So it's not only the one incidence, there are a lot of the incidents which are ongoing at the grassroots levels and nobody knows or the just been neglected by the state institutions, laws, and everything that we have are not reaching them and not protecting those women and girls at those level. So when she was mentioning that, I was just quite reflecting, you know, so my research coming up from this perspective, like we need to address the root causes, gender inequality, and the discrimination against women at the grassroots level. And we must involve not only women, but also men and the entire society to get into address this violence against women. So I have to say it's quite challenging, you know, like a lot of the community in there are sometimes some communities who actually do not allow you to get into their village if you are going to talk about gender. But I think uh, we have gone far and we, we have been reached far. You we know, have if, made some progress. Yes. Think? So mm. if you comparing to the last two decades, you know, we mm. have these international commitments. We have Security Council, which consider violence against women as a threat to security. We have consider sexual violence and related crimes as a international crime and a Rome statute. So it's like we, we have made a lot of progress so far and we still have to go ahead with that. 
And like I was saying, we should also recognize the works that women activists are doing at the grassroots levels. And we have to hear their voices and we have to bring them in our reform process. And I believe it will still take quite a lot of time, but we should be progressing from then. And that's what you've seen too, Tristan, that gender inequality basically is at the core of what's causing these problems. Well, yeah, I think so. And I, I think adding to Pew Pew's discussion around how we have progressed in society, I, I definitely agree with her there and that we have a long, long way to go. This is speaking more broadly around violence against women. It really only wasn't that long ago that, and I guess still, still there is to a degree, shame. You were shamed for speaking about it. When I was a teenager and I spoke about, about my experiences, I was shamed for it. I would have never thought that I would be sitting here today talking about violence against women and talking about the impacts and what we can do to address that, which I think is really cool that it's being spoken about a lot more and that there are resources going into it. But obviously, you know, it's still something that is impacting the lives of women and children every day. There's definitely still a long way to go. And I do think, yeah, involving... Pew Pew was saying we need to involve women, but we also, men also need to get involved and help us combat this massive societal issue. The whole of society, I think a massive societal shift is still required. And also the, you know, the women who are actually being victimised, we need to hear them. We need to hear their voices. We need to give them a voice because a lot of them probably keep feeling like they're going unheard. They have no voice. They have no way of speaking about their experiences and I guess really that's what my research tries to do as well is give those women a voice. So Me Too in a way was sort of just the start of that and I imagine too quite a westernised voicing of sexual violence against women and that takes some time to to filter down to other or to other cultures would that be a fair thing to say? I think it's something that really takes time in general. I guess, yeah, there are cultural differences for sure and we need to acknowledge that. But even just more broadly, it's something that takes time. I mean, even still in the West, we've we've got a ways to go when it comes to, you know, women are speaking out more and they are getting support, but they are still shamed and we still live in a society where it's there's so much stigma around it. But violence against women is so normalised. You have people making rape jokes all the time and not calling people out on what they've done, what how they've acted towards women, even if it is just, you know, they've made a comment. Well, that comment isn't required, you know, things like that. So I think even still in the West, we've got a ways to go. I, I um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Even with the Me Too movement, I still think a societal shift is really... I think it's required not just in the West, not just in non-Western nations, worldwide, really, when it comes to violence against women. I just wanted to agree with uh, Tristan, and I think that stigmas and victim blamings are still ongoing, and it's uh, quite a lot was in our part of the world. You know, it's like we don't usually hear from the victims, and that doesn't mean that we don't have any cases or any reportings, or you know, that we we have to be quite giving understanding around that, because oftentimes. It's uh, we always consider if there is no official reporting, then we we would 
probably presume that there is no cases are ongoing. But actually, we should be able to create them for safe space and the way that they could report safely and the way that they could seek the services safely. But going back to these traditional norms and the societal beliefs around the stigmas and women who has, especially when it comes to sexual violence, when women has been raped and, you know, they're not willing to share with other people, most of the time it becomes like it's their fault because why why are you being out on that time and why are you wearing like this? Or it's a lot quite common in our culture. And the other thing is that I just wanted to say is like still like I was saying in the grassroots level and in a country like Myanmar we still allows the customary practices in some part of the countries and some of these practices are quite harmful to women and but still sometimes they are even forced to marry a perpetrator or these things are still it's still, still ongoing yeah mm. so I quite agree with her there's a long way to go for us well, let's hope that this campaign, this 16 days of activism, just raising that awareness, raising the voices of of women about violence against women, let's hope that each year we make some progress with that. Yes. So thank you so much for joining us today and for telling us about your important research. Really appreciate it. Pew Pew. And to Tristan, thank you for joining the Gender Card. Thank you for having us. It was thank great you to for having us, the 16 Days of Activism begins on the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women on November 25, which commemorates the day the Mirabal sisters were murdered by the secret police for their political activism in the Dominican Republic. The campaign ends on International Human Rights Day on December 10, highlighting that violence against women is a fundamental violation of human rights. You can take part by tweeting hashtag 16 days, supporting a women's group or marching in your city. And that's all for this episode of The Gender Card. This podcast was produced for the Gender Equality Research Network by Nance Haxton, with production assistance from Michael Adams. Stay up to date with this Griffith University podcast on SoundCloud. Speak to you again soon.